live in a world where in the past decade, and especially the past two years, you can't say anything without someone being offended. Anything. And we've, we've got to learn what it means to live a life with no offense. And I wanna talk about that today because I believe in life today, we, we get offended when people disagree with our opinions. And our opinions aren't always truth. And we have a, a hard discernment of knowing whether what's an opinion and what's a truth. This is God's truth. His word is the truth. And I'm gonna tell you, if you haven't already been by being a part of this church or even a part of this series, um, if you haven't already been offended, you're probably going to get offended. And this series is going to offend you. So go ahead and just get ready. Look at your neighbor and say, hey, it's gonna be okay. We're gonna live with no offense. Some of you are like, I don't really wanna say that because I wanna be offended today. We all know from the recent headlines to comments on social media, to things that go into the news or the person who cuts you off in traffic or the person who cut in line at Starbucks even though you were in line for five minutes and they got in front of you not knowing that the line goes the other way. It hadn't happened to me the other day. I just smiled, chose no offense. There are plenty of opportunities to be offended in our world today. They're everywhere, there are plenty of opportunities. But the question I have for us today and what we're gonna dive into is what if we decided to respond differently than the world to those around us when we get offended? What if we decided to respond differently and live a life of no offense? You know, as followers of Jesus, we're called to love people, all people, everybody. And I can know, I know in today's day, it's a little bit more difficult to, to love some of the people in our life today more than ever before. But we're gonna live and choose to live a life of no offense. And I wanna, I wanna show you in Ephesians where Paul is instructing us in Ephesians chapter four. If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn me to Ephesians chapter four. Ephesians chapter four. If you wonder why those are standing, it's because we honor God's word. We stand at his word because it is the truth. If you're new to this experience, let me say this. We believe that the word of God, the Holy Bible is God's word to us. It's the manual for life. That there is no other truth other than this. And we believe and we live our life based on, we don't, form, we don't form scriptures to fit our life, we form our life to fit his scriptures. And we live in a world today where, because we don't feel like that scripture should be there, we don't live our life by it, but that's not how the scripture works, that's not how God designed it. We are to form our life to his word, to his scripture. So Ephesians chapter four, Paul is instructing us, and I wanna read this passage today. We're gonna to read verses 26 and 27, verses 29, verses 31 and 32. I wanna just kinda of get into a couple of the meatier parts of it, and we're gonna dive into this, and that is this. Ephesians chapter four, verses 26 says this. In your anger, do not sin. Plain and simple. It says, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. He's like, if I haven't cleared it up, I'm just gonna go ahead and say without all, with all of this. And then he says in verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. I wanna dive in this today, and I wanna talk from the subject, if you're taking notes, and hopefully you are, I believe that you retain so much more, and it statistically shows you retain so much more when you take some notes, but I wanna talk to you today from the title on how to deal with those people. Those people. Don't, don't elbow anybody. Don't glare around the room, but let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that it is sharper than any two-edged sword. 
I pray today as we dive into your scripture, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to us, that you would speak to us in the hidden places of our life that maybe we've been ashamed to try to show you even though you already know or we've been afraid to open up to. I pray today just as that song, the new song we just sang, Lord, that if we were a container, a vessel, and we filled our life with our own expectations, our own beliefs, our own things, our own desires, God, I pray today, Lord, that we would empty all that out so you can fill us with your expectations and your desires and your truth, that our lives would be transformed by your word today, that we don't leave here the same way that we came in. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said amen? Amen. amen. You may be seated. I want you to raise your hand if, if you've ever or have you ever interacted with one of those people. Anybody ever done that? Anybody? Anybody? Those people are everywhere. Amen. <laughs> Amen. They're everywhere. These people are crazy. They are. They, like when, you, when you're dealing with those people, they're, they're everywhere. They're, no matter where you go, like, and if you don't know who those people are, what, are, what do you mean by those people? These are the people who are always critical. No matter where you're at, no matter what you talk about, they're always critical. They're extremely controlling. They, they can't do anything without having full control. They're completely arrogant by all belief. They, they, are, they can be mean. They can be manipulative. Those people know everything about everything. Don't elbow nobody. I know you're sitting next to your spouse today and you know that they know that they know everything. And let me tell you, when they know everything, they're going to tell you what they believe. Every conversation always ends up being about them. You're having a conversation about, about the birds in the sky and all of a sudden like, yeah, well, one time when I, and they bring the conversation back to them, these people are narcissistic. They're the people who are shouting on social media all their beliefs and all their opinions. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. They're the people who start the rumors in the office. Some of you are like, man, we getting in it today. Yes, we are. We're choosing a life of no fit. These are the people who you know when you go to a big family gathering, you know that family member. Anybody know who I'm talking about? Some are like, I live with them. They're just looking for any opportunity to bring up something political, to bring up something that's going to cause major argumentative conversations. They're going to throw their opinions on you. And if you, let me tell you this, if you don't know, like, who, who are those people? I don't know. I don't know anybody like that. Hmm, well, you might be it. <laughs> it might just be you. Just might. You're going to learn today. Those people. In pastoring, I've, I've had the privilege and the great opportunity to interact with those people countless of times. I can talk to them in the lobby. I can talk to them by email. I can have conversations on the phone. It's really funny because as people start to do this, I was talking to somebody the other day. This was several weeks ago and, and several months ago. And they were having this conversation with me. And I just was smiling because in my mind, I was like, coming to a sermon near you, you're about to be used as an illustration for being one of those people. So I got to warn you, if you're having a conversation with me or you send me an email or, or we're, we're talking at HEB in the, in the aisle way where I'm trying to tell my kid we can't have that cereal and you start to talk, guess what? I warn you, you might just get used in a sermon. <laughs> but I try to remind myself in life that there is no win in being offended. There's never a win. No matter how much you try to shape it, no matter how much you try to form it, I've never, never found myself finding a victory when I'm offended. It doesn't happen. I've never found my life more joyful and more happy and more peaceful when I'm ticked off about what somebody else said. It's never happened. Never. And Paul begins his instruction in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, in your anger... Do not sin. When you're mad, when you're, when you're offended, he says, do not sin. Which Paul is implying then that it's not a sin to be angry, 
But, but you wanna hear some good news today? How many wanna hear some good news? You wanna hear some good news? Today, today you're gonna walk out of here today, okay? You're gonna go out, you're gonna go into the public, you're gonna go find a place to eat, you're gonna jump online on social media, you're gonna turn on the news, you're gonna, you're gonna go drive in some places, you're gonna talk to someone, you're gonna maybe even hear a sermon, maybe this one today, and chances are you're gonna be offended. You're gonna get offended. You're gonna open up social media and somebody's gonna say something or you're gonna watch somebody do something or someone's gonna walk into a room and they didn't say hi to you and you're gonna be offended. Here's what I've learned in life. Being offended is inevitable. Living offended is a choice. You're going to be offended. It's going to happen. But the choice is that we don't have to live a life offended. It's a choice. And this is why Paul is saying, be very careful, very careful. He says, when you, when you hold on to anger, when you nurture the offense, when you rehearse the hurts, well, they did this to me, and oh my gosh, and you just over and over, and you wake up about it, and you go to sleep about it, and you're talking about it. When you do all those things, you give the devil, you give Satan, you give the father of lies, the prince of darkness, a foothold on your life. That's what Paul just said. Now, if you begin to look at what the word, and I begin to research this, what the word foothold means in the original Greek language, the word is topos. That word literally means place or room. So if I get offended, if I get angry at someone and I begin to nurture that offense and I nurse it and I rehearse it and I go all about it, you know what I'm doing? I am giving the enemy, the devil, a place or a room in my heart or in my life to have a foothold to work against me. I give him access. It's basically like I said, here you go, enemy. You can have the key to my heart. You can have the key to my life. And I'm going to let you have any place, any room, and you're going to work against me. I've given the devil access when I choose to live a life that's offended. I don't know about you, but I, I don't, I don't want to live a life that, that is offended when, when it comes to my marriage. I don't want to live a life and give the devil access to my children, I don't wanna give him access to my family or to my friends. I don't wanna give him access to my church family in my life. I don't know about you, but I don't wanna give the devil any access in my life. I don't want him having a foothold at all. But when I give the enemy access, he begins to do this thing that leads to in our life where it begins destruction. John 10, 10 tells us very clearly that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. You have an enemy. I'm going to say it again. You have an enemy. He is out to get you. He is out to rob things from you. He is out to steal life from you. He is out to destroy anything he can in your life from the call of God on you. That's his goal. And so today I want to talk about three seeds of destruction that the enemy has against us. His plot, his plan. The first seed of destruction is called division. Division. Our spiritual enemy wants to divide families, friends, and our churches. Division. That's his goal. And today, it is easier than ever to have division. It's, it's easier than ever with politics, with racial division, with, with vaccines and masks. And I'm not just talking about COVID vaccine. I'm talking about like if you're a parent and you decide whether to put on the social media, they're going to vaccine your children or not. Somebody's going to say something. You can't even celebrate a win in your life without somebody else being offended. Oh, that's shaming. In today's culture. It is so much easier to be offended. And the enemy, because of that, the enemy has a foothold and he's destroying friendships. People who have been doing their life together since they were kids are completely finding themselves separated in life, destroying friendships, destroying where family members are not even talking to each other anymore. I just don't understand that. How you can have a husband and a wife or a father and a son and a son and a, 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 a brother and all these different people. How they can go on complete non-speaking terms. They won't even talk because they're offended and they're harboring this offense. And the enemy has access and now foothold on their life. It just doesn't make sense to me. The enemy is causing division where he's, he's starting to ruin marriage, marriages. 
causing separation to begin because of what they said or what they did or what happened or what they didn't do. The enemy's even causing division in churches. Well, that person said this. This person looked at me that way. That person sang that song. That person dressed that way. That pastor said that thing, and I just don't believe it. Causing division is his number one goal. Because the enemy knows that if he can divide Christians, he knows that united, we are unstoppable. But divided, we are weak and we're ineffective. So his goal to first seed to destruction is division. He's trying to divide. The second seed to destruction is called distraction. That's the second seed. The enemy wants to distract us. He knows that if he can get Christians from off their mission, if he can distract them away from their God assignment, he can accomplish something. If I were, let's just say, if I were the enemy, if I were a demon in hell, I know my children's ministry workers used to think that when I was growing up in church. They thought I was a little demon. My parents may have even thought about that for a little while, but look at me now. Um, There's hope for anybody. But if I was the enemy and I wanted to cause distractions, you know what I would do? I would get people mad about anything. I would just get them mad about anything. I'd get them mad about culture. I'd get them boycotting businesses. I'd get them to focus on everything that they're against. I'd get them arguing and and mad about stuff. I would get them distracted completely because what we know, anytime something starts to happen, something else is gonna pop up in the news and we, we as Christians can get so easily distracted off our mission that God has called us to live. That's the enemy's job. And normal distractions may not work anymore. So you know what they've got them doing? He's got them now comparing on social media. Got them complaining and arguing and people shouting from the other side of a screen when I know for a fact that some of you, 98% of you, wouldn't say none of that to somebody's face. Nothing. I'd be like, come say it to my face. Catch me outside. How about that? Like, that's the BC days. That's BC days. Before Christ. Um, But he would cause... Distraction. If he can get you distracted, the devil wants to get us off mission. We're meant to be Christians who are mobilized to move forward in the call that God has for us to reach people. But if he can get us distracted, if he can get us or get our attention on the other things, that seed will begin to lead to destruction in our life. So destruction begins with division. Destruction begins with distraction. And the third seed is destruction begins with dehydration. Dehydration. Well, what do you mean by that? The enemy's goal is to get us spiritually dehydrated. We're Christians to begin to live by their own truth rather than God's living water. Christians, when you get so thirsty, when we get thirsty, when we get desperate, when we get spiritually dehydrated, we'll drink anything that will satisfy for a moment. We'll take a sip of that Kool-Aid just to give us a temporary satisfaction. We'll live our life going from a little bit of satisfaction to a little bit of satisfaction. When, when if you read scripture, you will find when Jesus met a woman at the well and she had been married five times. She's now living with the sixth one who's not her husband. And he goes and says, give me a drink. She said, sir, we're not supposed to be talking. You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. We don't do this. And he said, if you knew the water I was going to give you, you would never thirst again. I've come to give you a living water. You've been trying to fill this void in your life with other men in your life, and it ain't happening. Temporary satisfaction. And we're living our life dehydrated, and we wonder why we're so confused about sin. We wonder why we're so so confused about what God has to say about our life. If you've ever been dehydrated, this was funny. A few years ago, we were doing a um, a youth fundraiser. The students were raising money to go to summer camp. We do it every year. Um, we, we take kids to summer camp, or we do summer conferences for our youth ministry and, and investing into the next generation. So we're, at, we're, we're out doing a car wash. A car wash. There's like 18 hoses of water pouring out like 24-7, it felt like. Washing cars. And somehow, within a three-hour window, we had a teenager... God bless him. Get dehydrated. At a car wash. 
everywhere. Just pick up the, the faucet, man. This water hose, just drink it like you're in the country. Just go for it, man. I don't know about you, but I grew up on that water hose tasting water. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You just take a sip, baby. That's that well water smell like sulfur coming out, baby. <laughs> Some of y'all are like, what's that? You know, go live in the country for about 30 days. You'll, there's a taste to that, too. And that, I got to tell you, I like that taste. I'm like, you know, I'm going to go live in my childhood days. I go out to the water hose every now and then. I'm like, man, it's like the water fountain at the football practice. You know what I'm talking about? When you go over, they're just shooting out of the PVC pipe. When God knows what's in that PVC pipe. You know they didn't clean that thing. That's the truth, y'all. But when we get spiritually dehydrated, we get confused. If you've ever been physically dehydrated, you, you, you get cloudy, you can't think straight. You begin to pass out, like your body begins to not function like it normally should. You cannot think clearly. So let me tell you, when you get spiritually dehydrated, you get confused about how to live out of your own truth, not God's truth. You get confused where your morals and your values and, and the principles that God has set forth in his, in, in his word, we get distracted and we get confused and we get cloudy and we're like, wait, well, what? Our identity becomes confused. And we decide like, well, I'm only going to put God first in the things that make me feel good. Rather than putting God first in everything in your life. You know, we like to do that. We like to put God in, in first in the things that when we want to and the things that make us feel good. But when it comes to certain areas that God says, put me first, we're like, ah, uh, I don't know about that one, God. When his scripture says, seek first my kingdom. If you do that, everything else will be taken care of. We got to learn to put God first in everything. But when we, get, when we get spiritually dehydrated, we start to put him first in only what we want to. And when you don't drink the right water, God's living water, you will always find yourself running dry and dehydrated. Always. Because when you get dehydrated, dehydration leads to a life that's self-centered. It leads to a life that is self-righteous. It leads to a life where you get easily offended and you're just ticked off at the world. And no matter what somebody says or didn't say or looked at you or didn't look at you, you're offended. And tragically, this destruction, this, this division and this distractions, the, the dehydration. This isn't just now an outward anger where it's outside of our church and our family. Did you know it's actually happening in our homes today? It's actually happening in the body of Christ. The enemy has found his foothold. And I want to point out a part of the verse in Ephesians 4. And I don't want you to miss this. It says, in your anger, do not sin. Then it says, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. How many of you have ever had somebody, if you grew up in church, or you had a grandma, or you had, you had an adopted grandma like I did, Anna Jew, she used to always tell me this. How many ever ever told you, don't let the sun go down when you're angry? Anybody ever had you tell them that? Yeah, me, I had my Nana Jew. If you don't know Nana Jew, she was like Medea. I promise you all. For those that have been part of our church for a long time, you know exactly who it is. Her name was Julian Abner. And she was Medea before Medea existed. And she lived with us, and she was a blessing to our life. But she used to tell me, she'd say, son, don't ever let the sun go down when you're angry. Don't let the day end while you're still angry. And let me tell you today, the days that you hurt, the days that, that you, you feel betrayed or you feel offended, can I encourage you today to choose reconciliation, to choose no offense? Being offended is inevitable. Living a life offended is a choice. My wife and I, Kendall, today we... we I don't say this to boast. I just say this, we have a strong marriage. We didn't have a strong marriage early on. We were young. I was 20. She was 18. And then five days later, turned 19. We were young. My, my son said, well, daddy, can I get married when I'm 18? I'm like, no. <laughs> All the parents that don't want their kids married at 18 better say amen or something. I was young. We were dumb. I had... I had I'll blame it all on me. I, I, I had all these ideas. And, and, but today... Today we have a strong marriage, and this can be a challenge in marriage. Even though we have a strong marriage, we still get mad at each other. Because marriage is work. It takes work to have a good marriage. 
You don't just get like, oh, you're like frolicking through the, through the flowers and butterflies. Heck no, it's like frolicking through hell trying to find a water spigot. Like, <laughs> you're just trying to find something. I don't know where that came from, y'all. <laughs> Somebody write that down and send that to me. That was a good one. That just came out. But no one ever teaches you the weapon of warfare in marriage. They don't teach you that. Like, did you know, like, you know, when, when you get mad and we've been mad and we, we get in bed, we, we may go to bed mad, but like we, got, we have to choose in our life when you want to have a good marriage, you got to choose to not be offended. You know, there, there's like a point system when you're mad. Like, like the more huffing you do in bed with your spouse, like the more points you get. Nobody teaches you this stuff. We just do it. Like, like you dang for sure. You better be back to back. There ain't no front facing you back to back, baby. You get more points when you back to back. You get more points if you yank them covers and you, <laughs> if you get it to get off them, you really score some points. Like you, you win in the fight. No, what's really fun is like you get ready for bed before your spouse, so you just turn off all the lights and you lay down. They're like, I ain't even done. It's like, mm, sorry. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about. Your spouse do that. They turn the lights up. And you're like, I'm still brushing my teeth. Like, well, you should have hurried up. And you get in bed. Sorry, I didn't see you. You're like, you were in the bathroom with me. And you lose points if you drift into enemy territory. Like, you, you know what I'm talking about in the bed? Like, like if you touch, you're losing points. You're losing points. Ain't no toes touching. I don't care how cold you are, baby. Don't you put it on my leg. Don't touch them. You lose points. And if you talk first, that's it. You lost. You lost. If you're all mad and you talk first, it's over. You lost. Nobody teaches you these weapons of warfare. We just do it. Isn't it funny how we do this? Imagine, I want us to imagine for a moment how different our friendships would be. How different could our marriages be? How different could our families and our church family be if we, the same day, the same day we got offended, the same day we got upset, the same day we found ourselves angry, we just walked up and said, you know what, I'm so sorry. I was wrong. I shouldn't have said what I said and I realized that I offended you. Oh, and let me tell you this. My mother taught this a long time ago. Real apology don't have the word if in it. Well, I'm sorry if I offended you. No, bull crap. You did. I said it. You did. I'm sorry that I offended you. Not if. I'm sorry if I made you upset. No, bull crap. Don't apologize. I didn't apologize. Get out of here. Come back when you're ready to talk. That's what I tell my kids. Don't, don't you come at me if. I'm going to if you to the other room. What if the same day we swallowed our pride, we showed true love to one another, we chose to live a life of no offense, and we said, you know what, I was wrong. I said that thing, I, I did that thing, and will you forgive me? And just choose to let it go. A choice. But too often we do the opposite, don't we? But I want us to see what scripture says. I don't want to give you my words. I want to give you his words, what scripture says. In Ephesians chapter four and verse 29, when you find yourself angry, when you find yourself offended, when you find yourself at a place where you're just so upset, this is what Paul is saying. He says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. He didn't give a suggestion. It didn't say, if you feel like it. It didn't say like, well, my opinion would be, or I recommend that you do this. No, no, no. He says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. I've been told my whole life as a kid, if you ain't got nothing good to say, don't say it at all. Some of us need to go back to the basics of our childhood when, we, when our parents say, if you ain't got nothing good to say, don't you say nothing at all. Yes, sir. Bible says don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. No belittling, no bad mouthing, none of the criticizing, but only what's going to build up somebody else. That's what Paul says. Don't let any of that junk come out of your mouth. You're vomiting out all that and spewing all that stuff. Why don't you do, when you speak, let it build up somebody else. So what if we decided today that we're going to walk out of here and we're going to choose to live by a certain new standard? 
To say, you know what? I'm going to choose as hard as this is going to be. This is going to be hard. I want you all to write these down. It's like seven things. Write these down. We're going to choose to never call names anymore. Some of you are like, I'm, I didn't hear that one. I'm not writing that down. That's hard. Because I, I got some names for people. And I'm going to let them know their names. But what if we chose today, as hard as this may be, what if we chose to live a life that we decided to never call names anymore? What if we chose a life to, to, to live that we decided to, to never raise our voice? To talk only in a calm tone. I didn't say you can't be like, no, I want you to listen, and you're not listening. That ain't raising my voice. This is raising my voice! Some of y'all jumped up. I was waking y'all up. Somebody was sleeping. <laughs> ain't sleeping in my sermon. But what if we decided never to raise our voice? What if we decided to never get historical? Not hysterical. Historical. Where I start bringing up all your past stuff of what you did when we were dating or what you did three years ago and what you did then and what you did in that and when you said that. No, 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 that's historical. What if we decided we're never going to get historical again? We're going to live in today's moment. Give people a fresh start and we're going to walk today. I'm not saying that what they did to you was right. But you're the one giving them a foothold if you choose, giving the devil a foothold if you choose to live with that. Stop getting historical and hysterical. What if we decided to never say never and always? <laughs> well, you never do this. You never take out the trash. You always, you always come in and you always complain. What if we decided we're never going to say never and always again? We don't say that. We don't fight that way. What if we, and this is for all of the married couples, and when you're not married, you should learn this too. What if we decided to live a life where we never threaten divorce? That word should never be in your vocabulary as a, in a marriage, Ever. So you should never say that word. That word should be forbidden in your house. It should be for forbidden between you and your spouse. You don't throw that around. Man, you keep doing this, we're going to get a divorce. Then leave. Stop giving, stop, stop giving all those blank uh, threats. Bye. My kid did this the other day. He said, he said well, I don't even want to live here anymore. I, I drugged that boy out in his underwear to outside at like 8.30 at night. Shut the door. I said, bye. I go find somewhere else to live. And I shut the door. I showed sure did. Call him. I don't care. I walked outside, I said, you're not gonna act this way in my house. You will not treat your mother this way. She is my wife before she was ever your mother and you will respect her. Do you understand me? My neighbor watched me and he was like, I felt like I got in trouble he was getting out of there. But we don't threaten divorce. I don't care what they said, I don't care what they did. We don't, we did we've chosen our heart, we don't use that word. We don't use it. And can I please, this is, the, this is probably the best one out of all of them. I want you to really write this down. I want you to really understand. This comes from the like, sincerity of my heart. Please, never quote your pastor during a fight. Please. I ain't trying to get up all in your mess. I got people that fit into me and I didn't even say nothing to them. Their husband said it. I'm like, I didn't say that. Never quote your pastor in a fight. I'm serious. People come to me like, well, my husband said, well, you said this in a sermon the other day. I'm like, well, that's what your husband said. I didn't say that. People mad at me. But let me tell you this. If you're like me, and some of you may be, some of you may be not, but if you're like me, I'm tempted to defend my anger a lot of times. Well, they hurt me. They said that, they did that, so I'm right. What they did was wrong, and I'm right. And I, we try to defend our anger. You know what we like to do in the, in the, in the, in the church? You know what we call it? I just have righteous anger. I got this, this is righteous anger. I'm, I'm, I'm angry for a righteous reason. But you know, do we call any other destructive force righteous? Well, I just got righteous greed. It's just righteous greed. It's about me and mine, and I ain't going to give nothing to nobody. It's righteous greed. I just got righteous greed. We don't do that. We don't go, well, I got righteous lust. I'm sorry. It's just righteous lust. I got righteous gluttony. I don't know what it is. It's just righteous gluttony. We, we, we don't, we, when, when do we ever do that? We don't. So do we want to justify our anger and call it righteous? Do we want to do that? No. The Bible, let me tell you what the Bible says about this. This is what the Bible says. Ephesians 4.31. Get rid of all bitterness. All bitterness, all rage, all anger brawling and slander along with every form of malice everything else he said if I didn't name it I'm putting it in here get rid of all of it and then then verse 32 Paul says something that's so profound and I'm gonna tell you first what he didn't say he didn't say be arrogant and more uh, about your moral 
superiority. He didn't say that. He didn't say be critical of everyone who thinks differently from you. He didn't say that. It's not what verse 32 says. He didn't say be harsh because you're dealing with idiots. He didn't say that. Even though you want to say it. No, verse 32 says be kind. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. Paul said, be kind. Be compassionate to one another. You don't know what that person may be going through. Be forgiving of one another. How? You know the only way to do this is close up. We live in a world today where we, we like to do everything from here. We like to, we like to shout from a distance. Well, you know, I'm just, I'm just going to send them that email. I'm just going to put it on social media. I'm just going to make a phone. No, no, no. You know, the only way that you can actually do this right, you know, the only way you can truly be, be kind and be compassionate and truly have a forgiving heart is close up. That's the only way to do it right. It's easy to shout from a distance. It's easy. It's easy to accuse somebody else from a distance. Sit in the chair down with them. Talk to them. Sit across the table with them. Have a meal with them. Have coffee with them. Talk about it. I'm going to say it again. Talk about it. Don't send an email. Don't put it on social media. Don't send a text. Talk about it. It's easy to accuse from a distance, but it takes time and effort to love up close. It takes an effort. I know somebody in my life that, that every time I get around them, they're one of those people. They're always right. And they ain't going to know they're one of these people because they don't know they're one. So you're like, who are you talking about? They don't know I'm talking about them. They don't know it. But they're right about everything. They're right about how, how church should be done. They, they have the best advice. They're right about how the world should be operated. They, have, they, they know all the answers. They, their theology is the best. It's far, far more than anybody else on this planet. They're, they're, the way they say they, you should spend money is the best way to spend money. The, the way that, that they say you should parent your kids is the best way. There ain't no other way. The, the, the government's wrong. I'll tell you what they're doing wrong. The truth about the COVID, they'll tell you all about it. They know it all. All their sources are right. <laughs> all of them. You know, I was like, thank God for this person. Out of 8 billion people in the world, I, I know the smartest person alive. I know the smartest person to ever live. And they're one of those people and they don't even know it. They don't even know they're one. You know, it dawned on me. What if I'm one of those people too? I mean, I am holding a mic today and telling you how to live your life. But what if... What if I'm one of those people too? What if you're one of them, those people too? This is why I believe we gotta pray this prayer in Psalm 139. This is a dangerous prayer. Psalm 139 verse 23, it says this. Search me. Search me, God, and know my heart. He says, test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We all need to pray that prayer in our life because if we're, we may not realize it, but we may be one of those people and we need God to search us. We need to pray the prayers that's so humbling to say, God, I need you to show me where I'm arrogant. I need you to show me where I'm, I'm, I'm so off. God, I need, to sh I need you to show me where I'm being judgmental. I need you to show me where I, I'm, I'm deceived myself. God, I need you to, to show if there's anything in me that shouldn't be there. Search me, God. That's a dangerous prayer. God, if I'm carrying any offense, I want you to get rid of all that anger. 
if I'm carrying and harboring anything, God, in my life that is not supposed to be there, God, get rid of it. It's a dangerous prayer. Lead me, God, in the way that you have set before me. Search me, God. I want to say it again. The devil's mission is to divide, distract, dehydrate, and ultimately cause destruction to make us so easily angered and easily offended. And I'll remind you again that being offended is inevitable. It's going to happen. Chances are you've been offended today. Chances are you're going to be offended when you walk out of here. You're going to be offended, but we're going to live a life of no offense. Living offended is a choice. Let me tell you this. Every minute you are angry, every minute you're offended, you know you lose a minute of joy. For every minute you're angry, you lose a minute of peace. For every minute you are offended, you lose a minute of happiness and fulfillment. You lose a minute of being able to make a difference in somebody else's life. You're going to be offended. It's going to happen. But we're going to choose not to stay that way. As believers, we're going to choose to live a life of no offense. We're going to choose to be a church in this community and say, man, you, it don't matter what you say about them, about those believers, there's something different about those believers. They choose to love no matter what. They choose to live a life that's not offended. We are called as followers of Jesus to be kind, to be compassionate to one another, and to forgive others as Christ has forgave us. We live in a dark world who needs a world full of brightness. We are meant to be a city on a hill. We are meant to be a, a lamp on a stand that brings light to everywhere we step into. That's our responsibility. And let me just say this. You don't exist in your life to make a point. You exist to make a difference. You don't exist to make a point. You exist to make a difference. Stop trying to make a point and go make a difference. Go make a difference. Stop trying to shout your opinion. Just go make a difference. Go love them. Go be kind to them. Go be compassionate to them. Learn to forgive. Learn to live a life of no offense. Learn to make a difference. There's a difference. So the challenge I have for you this week is, who is it in your life right now that you need to go ask for forgiveness from? That's your homework this week. You're going to talk about this maybe in small group when you get to talk at house today. Who, who do you need to talk to this week, to sit across the coffee table with, to sit across a, a place of business or, or to meet at a house or wherever it may be? Go on a drive together. You know, that's the best way to have a conversation with your kid. Just go on a drive together because you don't got to look at each other. You're looking at the road because you're not trying to wreck and just go have a conversation. You can have some of the toughest conversations on a drive. But who do you need to talk to this week? And you need to say, I'm sorry that I offended you. I'm sorry that I upset you. I'm sorry that I did that or I said that and I was wrong. Who is it this week? My challenge to you is to talk to that person up close. Find time. You don't make time. You got to learn to take time. You can't make any more minutes in the day. You only have 24 hours. You got to take time. And don't allow the enemy to have access in your life. Don't allow him to have access or have a room in your heart and in your soul. Because when you do, you give him that foothold. And he's going to begin to plant seeds of division. He's going to begin to plant seeds of distraction. He's going to get you spiritually dehydrated. And he's going to begin to destroy your life the moment you give him access. But let's choose to live with no offense. Let's choose to respond differently to the world and those around us. Then like everybody else, we're going to choose to not be offended. Why don't you stand with me all across the room today?
Father, I thank you for every single person here today. God, I know that in our life there has been many opportunities that someone has said something, someone has done something. Maybe we've said something or done something. Maybe we've been one of those people. But I pray, Lord, that today we would walk out of here not bringing people down, but God, we would walk out of here being lifters of an atmosphere when we step into a room. That we would be the thermostat and not the thermometer. That we would set the temperature when we step into our homes, not allow the temperature to be whatever it's going to be. As parents, as fathers, as mothers, that when we speak to our kids, God, I pray that we would be lifters and encouragers, not belittlers and destroyers. Search us, God. Get rid of all of the things that are not of you, God. We pour out all of our own ideas. We pour out all of our own theology. We pour out all of our own experiences and our expectations. We leave ourselves empty, God, so you can fill us up with your word and your truth and your love and your grace and your compassion and your joy and your peace. So that way, when we pour out on other people, it ain't us in us. It is you in us that allows us to have compassion and not make a point, but make a difference. And God, I pray that in moments when we, when the inevitable happens and we do get offended. I pray, Lord, that you would allow us to, to choose to not let the sun go down. And let us stay that way. That we would make the choice to be the bigger people. To live a life of no offense. No victory has ever been won being offended. No joy is ever found being offended. I pray today, God, that you would transform us in this word today that we would not give the enemy a foothold, access, a room, a place in our life. With your head still bowed and eyes closed all across the room today, there may be some of you today that you're hearing about this, this Savior named Jesus. Let me tell you, friend, God sent his son Jesus to become his own creation. And over 2,000 years ago, he roamed this earth and he was a lifter. He was an atmosphere changer. He, he performed miracles and he came with the message of God. And he came to become and pay the debt that we owed, which was our sin and the punishment for it. The Bible says that, that he was nailed to a cross. He was beaten beyond recognition. That he, he took the cup, he drank of the cup, which represented the wrath of God, the vengeance of God being poured out for sin and all of our mistakes and everything that was committed is being committed and that will be committed. That Jesus became sin for us and nailed it to a cross, that he shed his blood, that when it covers us, it purifies us. It makes us in right standing with God that one day when we go stand before God the Father and he looks at us, if we are a believer of Jesus and we've accepted him as Lord and Savior of our life and we've chosen to live by his commandments, when God looks at us, he doesn't see us. He will see the blood of the lamb covering our sin and he'll say, I paid it for him, dad. Maybe you've never given Jesus the access to your life. Maybe you've been harboring things in your life and you've chose to live offended. You've chose to live angry. And today you want Jesus to wash you clean. Let me tell you, friend, Jesus can make all things new in your life. And I'll tell you this. When you do accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, it's not a, it's not a get your life back in order quick fix. It is a journey. Salvation is in an instant. But sanctification, a biblical word, takes a lifetime. It's a journey as you take step after step, allowing Jesus to mold you and shape you to who he designed you to be, your best self. 
So if you're in this room today or you're watching from the other side of a screen and you don't know Jesus, you've never accepted him as Lord and Savior, or maybe you have at one point, but you've walked away. You stepped away from Christ. You started living life on your own. You, you haven't been following his word. You've been trying to do it all on your own. And you say, I need to come back to my faith. I need Jesus and I want to spend eternity in heaven when I pass from this life. If that's you today, when I count down from three, if you want to accept him, I just want you to lift your hand so I know who I'm praying with. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front or do anything. We actually have a Bible we want to give you. But I want to know who I'm praying with today. And if that's you, when I count down, just lift your hand high. Look me right in the eye. I want to pray a prayer with you. We're going to pray it all together. Three, two, one. If that's you today, just lift them up. Lift them up. Lift them up. Thank you, Jesus. Lift them up. Thank you, Jesus. Just lift those hands high. I see that hand. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lift them high. Thank you, Jesus. I see those hands all the way at the top. I see you. I see you on the floor. I see you. Thank you, Jesus. Just a moment more. Don't let this moment pass you by. Don't worry about the person to the left or the right of you, front or the back. This is between you and God. I need Jesus. I want him in my life. I want him to turn things around. I see that hand. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I see those hands. You can put your hands down. I want us to pray this prayer together out loud where our ears can hear. Say, dear Jesus, come into my life. Help me to live a new life in you. Jesus, I accept you as Lord and Savior of my life. Thank you for dying on a cross and shedding your blood for my sin. And then three days later, by the miracle of God, rising from the grave, overcoming sin, death, and the grave. Today, I put my faith in you. I put my trust in you. And I put my hope in you. In Jesus' name I pray. Wash me clean. Amen. If you just made a decision to invite God into your life, we would love to know. If you could text us at SCSAVE to 97000, we would love to help equip you with some next steps for you to take along this journey. If this message was a blessing to your life and you'd like to help support Skybreak financially, you can give online using Skybreak Church app or skybreakchurch.com. We'd love for you to join us in person next Sunday right here at 915. Until then, we hope you have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.